Would you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles, and uh, we, we're going to finish our, our fourth look at Peter tonight. It's not a great deal of information, but this is actually, honestly, tonight is the positive side of, uh, of dealing with the, this thought that we had, uh, we had started several weeks ago. We had to skip last week, and um, we're going to wrap it up tonight. We, we, if you, you take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 11, that's where we're going to be, Acts 11. And, um, but we, we had gone to Matthew 16 and Acts chapter 10, two different places, uh, Acts 16, where uh, the Lord began to tell his disciples and how he was going to be taken and uh, how he was going to suffer many things and uh, uh, end up being killed and, and, uh, and being buried, but he would rise again uh, the third day. And uh, in that moment when he began to describe what was going to happen to him, uh, Peter spoke up in a, in a, a moment of emotional, overwhelmed um, mentality. Uh, he spoke up and said, absolutely not. <laughs> in other words, that, that's, my, that's my interpretation of it. Um, but, or, or some of us would be like, I don't think so. But uh, Peter said, not so, Lord. It's not going to happen. Not going to let it happen. I'm going to fight to make sure nobody hurts you. And, and, and Peter was trying to take a stand for the one he cared for. Um, but the Lord then looks at him and says, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou savorest not the things of the Lord. And, uh, and, and in that moment, Peter spoke without thinking. And Jesus himself is declaring what will happen. He's already proven through his entire ministry. He knows what he's saying. He knows what he's doing. He does and says what nobody else does and says. And he has yet to be proven wrong. And yet when he said, I'm going to be taken, I'm going to suffer many things, and uh, that I, he's going to die, that's when Peter said, uh, don't think so. It's not happening under, under my watch. Never. But the Lord says, get thee behind me. So Peter speaks up before he he thinks, and then over in Acts 10, we see a little bit, we said not quite as severe, but you see the same type thing when, uh, when the Lord sends uh, servants from Cornelius to go find uh, Peter, and then in a vision, and all Peter um, ha- has this vision of a sheet coming down, and in the sheet all manner of, uh, of animals that, that would have been labeled as unclean, and the Lord tells him, or the voice from, from, from above tells him to, uh, to take, kill, and eat. And Peter says, not so, not so, Lord. I've, I've never touched unclean. I've never done this. I've always kept myself pure. I'm not going to defile myself. And, uh, and then the Lord speaks to him and says, basically, we know um, that, which, um, that which the Lord has, has called clean, uh, call not thou common. And, uh, and so... The Lord does that three times to him, and we'll see that again in a minute. Even Peter himself redeclares that it happens three times. And, uh, but the Lord shows him three times, and when it's all said and done, and it's all taken away, uh, there are three men then uh, at the door, door of Peter's house and, um, and asking for him. And uh, so in that moment, Peter says, no, I'm not going to do this. And the Lord says, no, don't. Don't resist what I have said is, is my will, what I want you to do. No, Lord, I'm not doing it. Don't stop. Don't resist what I've said. Peter was struggling with accepting what was outside of the realm 
of what he understood at that moment. And uh, the Lord was trying to expand some things we're, we're going to see tonight. So we've gotten all the way to the point of uh, in, in, in asking the question, why do people resist the will of God? Now, that, that's just two little scenarios. The Bible is full uh, of, um, of history and showing us the lives of people that fought against the will of God. The Bible's full of it. Uh, there are uh, a lot of wicked kings uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, over over Israel and a lot a lot of individuals that refused to follow the will of the Lord and did their own will and they they were wicked kings and uh, and they they constantly died and new wicked kings came in their place um, and, and so there's people all throughout the Bible that that struggled to do and follow the will of the Lord and uh, there's still people today that struggle to do the very same thing we we did say that when it, when it comes to struggling with God's will, uh, not, not just in struggling with the, the difficulties of life and the difficulties of being in the center of God's will sometimes. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the, that idea of uh, the, the struggle of accepting and letting God be God. That struggle to accept he knows best and, and those that literally, instead of, instead of trusting him, they turn and they point a finger at him and blame him for everything. Because they, they don't trust him, they don't like his will, they don't want it, they struggle against it. Anything but what God wants for me, I'll be happy with. Uh, and we said there's only two people that actually deal with that kind of a struggle, and that is a lost world and a carnal Christian. A lost world can't stand God in the first place. A carnal Christian tends to blame God for everything. And, uh, and so we have to be careful with these two uh, uh, sets of, of people, making sure that, number one, hopefully we know Christ our Savior, but number two, we don't allow ourselves to let the flesh pull us into a position of carnality that we cannot, not, not only can we not trust God, but, um, but all we do is blame him for everything that happens in my life without seeing his perfect plan being better than what I thought would have been perfect scenarios. And, uh, and so we got to be careful with that. But um, we, we dealt, I'm not going to go over everything, but that was one of the biggest focuses we had was struggling with the will of God. So what is the, um, uh, the, the blessings or the sweetness of the will of God? So we've dealt with the struggle, we've dealt with the people that have a hard time with the will of God. But then there's the positive side. And here's, here is, um, you know, the easiest part of this message to preach. Because anybody who has uh, allowed themselves to follow the, the directing of the Holy Spirit, follow the will of God in their life, whether it made complete sense or not, when they knew that they knew that they knew this is what God wanted me to do, and they follow through. By the way, God's will will never co contradict God's word. If somebody says, well, God, God has laid on my heart to do such and such, and such and such is very clearly defined in God's word as wrong, God's will will never go against his word. It'll always be found in, in harmony with the commands, the principles, the guidelines of the word of God. It may not be the easiest thing for me to do. It may not be the most comfortable situation for me to be in. But it's not going to go contrary to truth that we know. So that is one thing we can settle about the will of God. You know, well, I know, I know I shouldn't be here, but I just felt this is where God wanted me to be right now. I know it's not really right according to the Bible, but I just felt like this is where God wanted. Well, hold on a second. If it's not right according to the Bible, it's wrong. 
So if it's not right according to the Bible and God never contradict his word, and then I'm somewhere where I should not be according to God's word, I can't blame God for it. I might have had encouragement and I might have had a spirit leading me, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit because it would not contradict the word of God. So got that out of the way. Now let's get to the positive stuff. All right, here we go. The sweetness. When you've been in, if you've ever experienced the will of God, you've actually done exactly what you knew God wanted you to do. When you find yourself even in the most difficult situations, but you know that you're exactly where you ought to be. And even when the waves are over your head, you know you're exactly where you're supposed to be. When our eyes are still focused on the one who's in control of it all and the one who has brought me here thus far and won't fail me the rest of the way, there is an ability to understand some very sweet things about being in the center of God's will. Sometimes the center of God's will is, is honestly, there's nothing hard about it. There's nothing awful about it. There's not, no struggles in it. Sometimes in the center of God's will, it's just beautiful, enjoyable, and peaceful. And I like those days. I really do. Those are real nice, comfortable days. And then there's those times where the center of God's will is not so, you know, calm and peaceful and perfect. (laughs) Sometimes it's only perfect because I know it's what God has, but it doesn't feel perfect because it's very uncomfortable and makes me very uneasy. Um, Or it's a tough decision that is so hard because it requires that I trust God because there's nothing I can do to make it work out. Only God can fix it. Only God can make it work the way it's supposed to. So therefore, I have to trust him through that situation. But there's a sweetness in it all. And the Bible says in, in, in Psalm 34, verse number eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. The old taste and see, that, that's that, that whole idea. And the world one, you know, is always trying to get people, listen, just try it once. I guarantee you like it. Just give it, it's just one time. Well, a lot of, there's a lot of people who got stuck on drugs because they tried it one time. I mean, it's just one taste, man. It's just one little thing. Just, it's not going to kill you. Well, there's a lot of things in life that just one little taste might be all it takes for this flesh to get a taste for it. But may I say the same is true the other way around. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you know how good he is unless you actually dive in and give him a chance? How do we know that we can trust him unless, of course, we're brought through some scenarios where we have no choice and we do trust him and then he proves himself true? And it might be in small areas to start with. It might be in big areas. But later on, may I say, um, as you learn to trust God, there are times where you can come to a point where the scenario doesn't go the way I wish or the way I would like, and yet I have learned to trust him regardless. And in the early stages, it might have been a pretty hard blow to my faith, where in later times when I've trusted him a little, a little, a little, a little more and more and more, my faith has grown and grown. Then I get to the point where there are some things, maybe it didn't go the way I wanted it to go, the way I hoped it would go, and yet I can still say, you know what, um, I don't not trust him anymore. I mean, I, it's not quite what I hoped for, not quite what I wanted, but I still trust him. I'm still going to follow him. 
I still believe, by the way, that's the difference of getting to the point where you go from uh, looking at, at uh, the, the, the things happening the way we didn't want it to happen and saying, God, why did you do this? To the point of where I say, God, I don't, I don't know why, but I know you got a purpose. One day I'll see, or maybe one day here, I'll, I'll never be a day here. Maybe it'll just be when I see face to face and I, I, I know as I am known, one day uh, all will be revealed and it might be when I stand before you that all of a sudden I see, oh, I got it. I understand. Right now it's just in part, but then face to face, we'll understand everything one day. I may not get to understand every aspect of why today or in this life but I can still trust the God who will one day show me the wise completely. But the sweetness of God's will is, is seeing things that happen that can only happen because I followed the Lord. And we see that uh, in Matthew 16. It is easy to see the, the, the apparent blessing that was brought about from Jesus going to the cross. I mean, think about it. Though Peter could not understand how that that issue or that situation would have, would have any value, we know that without what Christ did for us there on the cross, we would have no hope. Man, that's a pretty easy one to see. Peter's, Peter's trying to get in the way, but in the perfect will of God, even though he prayed, let this cup pass from me, the cup did not pass from him. He took, had, had to drink from every bit of that cup that his father laid before him. And though it was nothing desirable and nothing that any of us would ever want to go through or see someone we care about go through, without Christ doing what he did, we would have no hope. There's the automatic blessing of the center of God's will. It was hard for Peter to understand, but if Peter had gotten in the way and if Peter had been able... Not that he would, but if Peter had been able to stop it from happening, the entire world would be doomed because there would have been no sacrifice for sin. Now, I'm not saying that ever could have happened, but God told him, the Lord told him, hey, get thee behind me. <laughs> you savor us not. You don't desire. You're not, you're not looking for. You're not wanting those things which God wants. And so, Peter, you need to, <laughs> Satan, get behind him. And, uh, and so Matthew 16 is pretty obvious. The blessing of the sweetness in the will of God is because of what, what Jesus went through and because it actually happened that way, we all have hope. Now, in Acts 10, the events of Acts 10 reveal the blessings uh, of following God's will, but they do it through the personal reactions of the church at Jerusalem. Look at it in Acts 11 with me, if you're right there, verse 1 through 4. And we'll go through this very quickly, and this is the last part of it. So in Acts 11, we see the, the, the blessing of the final act. We, now, we said that Peter, when he went to, to Cornelius' house, that was something abhorring. That was awful. Hey, how could you do that? You're going to the Gentiles. It's not for the Gentiles. What is your problem, Peter? And, and we see that right here as well. Verse number one through verse number four, it says, And the apostles and brethren that were at Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. Now, these are the people that thought that you had to have circumcision. All these different things were required for you to be anybody acceptable by God. And since 
these other people were heathens, uncircumcised, awful people. What are you doing, Peter? So that's what they basically say. Verse number three, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Again, as I think we said last time, sounds a little bit like Pharisees. But they were of the mentality that Christ, we're talking about those who had trusted Christ and were trusting in Christ. We're talking about individuals that, as far as we know, are part of the church there at Jerusalem. And they're coming to Peter saying, Peter, what do you think you're doing taking what belongs to us, to the uncircumcised? Verse number four, Bible says, but Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, now I'm not going to go through all that, but he goes all the way back to, to Joppa and all the way back to when he was praying and all the way back to what happened in, in the vision and everything that took place. And, all, and, and when he went to, uh, th- there to Cornelius' house, knowing he was following the will of God, and he expressed these things. We're going to skip down to verse number 11. And he's talking about how he began to, to, uh, to, to go. And, and, and well, let's see what the rest of it says here. Verse number 11 down to verse number 18. The Bible says, And behold, immediately there were three uh, men already come unto the house where I was, uh, where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. So here he is. I just had my vision. It's over with. Instantly, there's three men. And the Spirit bade me go with them. Now, by the way, just a, a little side note. Uh, God does not make mistakes. And he's very specific in what he does. This vision came to him three times about the unclean not being claimed as common, but what the Lord has sent, don't reject. And as soon as it's over, he comes down and he says, and there were three men. What were they? Unclean Gentiles. Three vision, three times the vision given, three times the command given, and then he, when he comes out of it, there were three men waiting and looking for him that were unclean Gentiles, and Peter got the message. Three times, three men, unclean animals, unclean Gentiles. God says, don't call unclean what I have cleansed. And okay, God, I get the point. I'll go with them. So God doesn't make mistakes, and he's very specific. But going down through here, verse number uh, 12, and it says, And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall then, uh, who, who shall tell thee, Words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. And then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? He's like, what was I going to do when God decided he was going to pour out his spirit on them just like he did on us because they believed in Jesus Christ just like we believed in Jesus Christ? Who was I to stop God and say he can't do that? Now, Peter explaining all this, verse number 18, here is the blessing. 
Here is the excitement. Here is what happens when somebody obeys the will of God and gets in the center of the will of God. This is some of the results and the sweetness of God's will. Verse number 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace. Who is they? The people of the, of the circumcision that were being self-righteous and trying to figure out what Peter was doing, messing it all up. They held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Woohoo! We ought to be glad about that. Do you realize that Peter's obedience... now? Had Peter not been obedient, could God have used somebody else to accomplish the task? Yes. You can go all the way back uh, to Esther, and you can look at what Esther was told, that if she would not be obedient, she would not be spared. She don't think that you're going to get away with anything. You won't be spared, but God can bring deliverance through another. All right? So can God use someone else if his first initial chosen vessel does not follow his will. Yes, he can. But thankfully, I'm glad that Peter was one, amidst all of his struggles, Peter was one that when he saw what had happened in the vision and then saw three men at his door, realizing these are unclean Gentiles, wanted me to come to unclean Gentiles, but there's gotta be a reason the Holy Spirit is drawing me to this cause and this purpose I guess I'm just going to go ahead and follow and see what it is. But since Peter decided to follow the will of God, even though he struggled with it at first, he decided to follow the will of God against all traditions and against every teaching he had ever received concerning Gentiles. He went and he just preached Jesus and they understood and they believed in Christ and Christ alone and the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did on the Jews the day of Pentecost. And Peter and those that were with him witnessed it and said, what are we going to do to get in the way of this? Evidently, God has chosen for all the world to hear and know and have a chance to believe. And when he came back to Jerusalem, he came back to the church and the people there that did not understand, they were of the same mindset that Peter and his fellow helpers were in to begin with. When they came back and Peter went through the whole scenario and told them what happened, they just glorified God and were thankful saying, God has granted repentance unto life, even to the Gentiles. And they didn't say, well, that's not fair. That was supposed to be our goody thing. That's supposed to be our treasure. No, they actually realized, glory to God, that we're not the only ones he's chosen. Now, see, that's the sweetness of God's will when God does what we don't even expect or what we don't even anticipate to be part of the benefits of his will. If it wasn't for Christ going to the cross, no one would have hope. And if it wasn't for Peter being obedient in this moment, who would have gone to the Gentiles? That was the first step that we, as Gentiles, got to receive the gospel. Now, I'm going to give you this and I'm done. Here's a few additional examples of... God's will being, being seen. You ready? Here we go. You now have a chance to write all these down. If you want a copy, I'll just make you a copy. It's one, got one page here. You ready? 
Noah and his family escaped the destruction of the known world. Joseph became second in command over the Egyptian empire. Moses saw Israel delivered from Egypt. Joshua and Caleb got to enter the promised land when all the rest of them didn't. Rahab survived the fall of Jericho. Gideon witnessed the impossible defeat of a massive enemy army. David experienced victory over the giant Goliath. Nehemiah got to see Jerusalem's walls and city rebuilt. Esther saw her people delivered from sure destruction. Job received double of what he originally had. Daniel was elevated to leadership under four separate kings. And we could go on and on and on and on. But here's something to consider about each one of these. You ready? Noah faced the end of human life on earth. Yeah, he, he and his family escaped the destruction of the known world, but what they faced was rejection by everybody there, but they were facing the end of human life on earth. Joseph was sold into slavery. That's a sure hard swallow for the will of God. Moses had to defy the world power of his day. That had to be real comfortable. Joshua and Caleb stood alone in the recommendation to enter into when everybody else said, let's not do it. They were the ones that looked like fools. Can I say it this way? Who had the last laugh? Though for them, it wasn't funny. They got to go in and everybody else that had rejected, that was, was it 20? 20 and below, I believe. 20 and up. No, sorry, 20 and up. Yeah, the children stayed. Anybody 20 and up died in the wilderness. Rahab had to turn her back on everything she had been raised to believe in order to follow God's will. While, by the way, she was locked inside the city as a traitor. Gideon lost all but 300 men to fight against an impossible odd. The odds were against him. He had, thou, he had a couple of thousand or 20,000, 20, something like that. And, uh, and by the time it was all said and done, uh, even, even his thousands weren't enough to fight against the enemy. And he ended up with only 300. And yet he saw a great victory. Uh, David was outsized, outskilled, and underprotected when he faced Goliath in the center of God's will. Nehemiah was ridiculed during the entire building process of going back there to Jerusalem. Esther could have been killed when she stood before the king because she was not called on. And she said, if I die, I die. Job lost everything. Say, so wait a second. No, Job received double what he originally had. Yeah, but at first he lost everything in the center of God's will. Daniel was a captured slave. Though he was elevated to leadership under four separate kings, he never stopped being a captive slave. Which is why, of course, the other individuals that he technically uh, was over, um, they all despised him because he was a slave. He was not of that people group and therefore they didn't like the fact that he had such leadership over them because they were natural born. He's a slave. So all these individuals 
saw great and mighty and wonderful things happen in the center of God's will, but every single one of them faced undesirable, hard to believe this could be the center of God's will scenarios, and yet they followed. Didn't point fingers, didn't blame God, didn't attack the one that's supposed to be in charge. They followed, even though at times it hurt. May I say, God doesn't save us from every hurt, but God will keep all hurt from harming outside of his will. These are just some things to consider when we look and say, well, I want to be in the center of God's will. It may not be the most comfortable place to be, but there are sweet and blessed things that come from it. Following God's will is not always the easy path. However, when we follow trusting him, the sweet blessings of peace, comfort, and provision will always be found. No matter how great the storm is in the center of God's will, if there is one. I'm not saying every time we go, no, the center of God's will is a stormy place 24-7. No, sometimes it's just quiet and peaceful. Sometimes it, it's just wonderful to be in the center of God's will, and it's, it's a fairly easy path. But there are times when the center of God's will is not as easy as we wish it was. It's still worth it. The last thing we need to do is look at the one who directs in his will and say, you did this. People do that all too often. May not be doing a literal finger pointing, but in their heart, that's what they're saying. They may not speak it outwardly, but in their heart, that's what they're saying. They have conversations with God, and it's not a, Lord, will you show me what your purpose is? It's a, God, how dare you do this to me? Big difference in struggling in the storm, but still trusting God, or struggling with the storm and the God of it. Big difference. Let's, uh, let's not be the ones that struggle with the will of God. Let God be God, and in the center of his will, he can give the peace and the comfort and the provision that's needed to move on and move forward. Plus, your faith can grow. It can only grow when it's tested. It can only grow when it's tried. Therefore, when I'm tested and tried, I'll come forth pure as gold. That's the important part. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you.